Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? So I'm Natanya Anderson. I am the Director of Social Media and Digital Marketing at Whole Foods Market. My background is in owned, branded community. I spent about 10 years on the agency side helping big brands build their own spaces where customers can come and engage with them around lifestyle topics. And prior to that, I wrote a whole bunch of books about web technologies, and I was actually a Latin teacher. And so today, I am responsible for social media at Whole Foods Market, which includes our brand channels, like our Whole Foods Twitter handle, which has about 3.1 million followers, and our Facebook pages, Pinterest, Instagram, all that with a team. And we also support the over 600 local social Facebook and Twitter accounts that we have that represent the cities and the stores that are in those cities around the country. And we support those folks largely through training and tools and best practices. So focus both on the brand level of social as well as supporting the local level of social. And then the other piece of my job is to figure out how we integrate all of that into our marketing campaigns, particularly the things that you see in our stores so that our customers have a holistic experience with us, whether they're in the store or online between store visits. Wow. Well, I mean, certainly a huge job, and I want to talk about that, but before we do, I want to talk about sort of how you got your start, because you were a food blogger, right? Yes, I still am a food blogger. And, um, you know, so I think that social is an interesting place. I originally came to the digital social space before it even had a name, and that was in the branded community space, and and it was this idea of owned community as a marketing program. And the reason that I I found my way to that was twofold. The first was that I was an educator, and because of that, I bring um, a lot of content experience and also as a book author, all of the content experience. And they, at the time, content was the sole focus of how you bring people to your branded community to get them to interact with you. It was still early on when there wasn't just this massive plethora of content and brands really had an opportunity to stand out and provide lifestyle content that was helpful to their customers as a way to engage with them outside of the sales cycle. And so my experience as an educator and a book author, and it's particularly because all of the books that I wrote were around web technologies like XML and HTML. So I was able to think about not only the, the content piece of it, but also the technology piece of it and what the opportunities were for delivery and creating really interesting customer experiences. And so I parlayed that into this idea of content marketing and ultimately social because at the heart of all of this are great customer experiences that are heavily driven by content. And even though the ways that we're using content are changing almost on a daily basis, I almost always go back to the roots that I used when I was in the classroom because the best teachers are the ones who find a way to understand what each individual student needs and match that up with the curricula that they're trying to teach and and builds that bridge. And quite frankly, in social media, 
the idea of understanding what it is that your customer groups are interested in and what messages you have to tell and how you bridge those two, the skill sets and the way of thinking are very similar. So I find myself relying on some of the same skills that I used when I was in the classroom to try to create relevance and interest to a group of people for the story that I have to tell. That's interesting. So what you're saying is because you were a teacher, because you learned to serve the needs of your students, you're in a better position now to serve the needs, I guess, of the different brand ambassadors at the local level? Is that what you're saying? Well, I think that it's a way of thinking. Traditional marketing sometimes comes from a place of what is it that we want to say to our customers? You know, if you think about display advertising, commercials, the one-way conversation, marketers were always thinking about what is this message that I have to convey Um, on a banner in 30 seconds in a commercial. And because I come from a place of how do I help make a student successful, what is it that I want to teach, I think that I'm a little differently wired to be able to adapt to the changing social marketing uh, space and to really be able to put the customer first. And so I do believe also that that helps me as I start to understand how we support, there are about 1,200 people creating social media on behalf of Whole Foods every day out in the, in the regions. They come from varying backgrounds. They have varying interest levels. And so certainly my role as an educator and a content creator helps me there as well. But I think for social in general, that ability to put the person you're communicating to first and really focus on engaging content, those are the same skills I use in the classrooms to keep my students focused on me instead of on whatever was top of mind for them when they're, you know, hormonal teenagers. <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, in your intro that, you know, you, you got started before social, you know, broke out and that you, you almost implied that content was maybe a greater opportunity before the explosion um, was was I am I reading into what you're saying or is there something there? So back in what I want to call the old days, but it was really only about ten years ago, um, <laughs> sites like Facebook and Twitter hadn't proliferated yet. Most of the community building, community building that was going on online was very much in the tech space or for those who were very technically savvy. So you know, you, there were people who were we're on IRC and on bulletin boards, but there's a very specific level of tech savviness and interest that you had to have there. And so the opportunity with content around building community before this proliferation of the easy social networks like Facebook and Twitter really was how do we bring people in our customer base together to have a conversation around something that's important to them. So for example, one of my customers sold printers and you can only talk about printer specifications for so very long before people are like, okay, I get it. Um, and quite frankly, when someone's not purchasing a printer, then they don't really have a reason to engage with your brand. However, if you start to offer information on how to create digital scrapbooks with that printer or how to create party invitations or for small business people, how to create the documents that they need to market their business, then all of a sudden you've created an offering that's of value to them regardless of where they are in the purchase process, which allows you to have an engagement with them. And then that's also something that they want to talk about. So if you've ever seen small business people love to network and share best practices, uh, consumers love to talk about their latest tricks for how they're you know, creating scrapbooks or showing off family pictures. And so at the time, content was really the piece that pulled everybody together because we didn't have the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world. 
so I believe back then it was the hook. And I think today it's still the hook, but it's in a different way, obviously, because of the proliferation of social networks and the way that people share their own personal information. That's very different from how it was when I got started. So let's drill down into the nitty-gritty of managing a team of 1,200 social media ambassadors. How does that work? Where do you even start? So I'm happy to report that they don't all report to me, and, um, <laughs> and so, so that helps a lot. We use a model here at Whole Foods that I actually adopted from the days that I spent working at a regional educational lab that's called With and Through. And so Whole Foods Market is divided into 12 regions. And what we try to do is work with and through representatives in the region. So instead of trying to reach out to 1,200 folks when, let's say, Facebook has you know, a new threaded discussion feature, we instead work with designated representatives in each of the regions. We provide the information to them almost in a train-the-trainer kind of model. And then we look to them to share that with their folks in each of the regions. And this works particularly well for Whole Foods because Whole Foods is a very locally autonomous organization. We're very decentralized. So as it is, there's a lot of control at the local store level. There's a lot of marketing management at the regional level. And most of the folks wouldn't be very happy with me if I was sending out emails saying, this is exactly how you should do it because they want the flexibility to do what's right for, to meet their regional goals as well as their local store goals. So by having that intermediary pool of representatives at the region, it really makes it manageable for me and my team because we train you know, 10 to 20 people, and then it's up to them to disseminate that information. And it's really one of the ways that we've been the most successful at just managing the sprawl of social and the number of people. And it's by no means perfect because people are always coming and going inside of the organization, but it certainly allows us um, a better measure of support than it would be if my team was trying to support all 1,200 of those folks uh, directly. So um, so I have an eight-year-old, and we're always searching for movies to watch that are age-appropriate, and he always wants to watch comedy. So I got Oh God, remember with John Denver? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> He plays, he plays a supermarket manager. Mm-hmm. He's got to go in and meet with his regional, you know, super, the regional produce guy or something like this. So he goes in, and the regional produce guy is sitting there holding a head of romaine lettuce looking sternly at him. <laughs> so why are you peeling off all the wilted leaves on the outside of, of, of the lettuce? You know, you, you make them so small that people aren't going to want to buy them. And then John Denver grabs it back and says, look, I know my market. Just down the street, they peel them back too. If we don't peel them back, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna just wilt and rot on the shelf. I know my market. Don't tell me my market. So, I mean, is that really the way it works in the market business? Is it really that different and that local that, you know, in one market you have to present produce a certain way? I mean, just how much disparity is there? in, you know, market conditions and customer preferences across, you know, the United States? So I can only speak for Whole Foods, obviously, but I will tell you that our strength is specifically in being able to respond to each of those differences. And so I'll give you a really great example. I was in Boulder, Colorado recently, and I had an opportunity to go to the small store smallest store in our entire organization. And 
they live, they're in a very specific neighborhood with a very specific um, type of customer, and they stock their shelves for that, right? And so there are things that you will not find on their shelves, but they have a larger than you would expect pet food section because pet food is resonating with them. They have a smaller than you would expect seafood section because what they found is that their customers don't buy as much seafood, and they actually use a very large percentage of their square footage for relative to the, to the overall space of the store for produce. And one of the things that they have is the flexibility within their own area of Boulder, Colorado, to make those decisions and respond not only to what's happening in Boulder, but what's happening in their very specific part of Boulder. Whereas if you go down the road, I think it was like five miles, to another Whole Foods that's, that's closer to the college campus that's there, the layout and the allocation of space is completely different. There's almost no pet food, and um, there's a lot more of um, a lot more snacks, a lot more um, fast service food, and because they're serving the university population. So what we have found, and one of the things that's very important to Whole Foods, is this ability for the local store to understand their very unique community space and serve it in the way that they believe to be best. And this is inherent in the Whole Foods culture. And so that's one of the reasons that our social media reflects that because we understand that speaking to the customers in Boulder, Colorado is very different than speaking to the customers in Austin, Texas, or New York, or Chicago, or Miami. And we're not trying to create homogenous shopping experiences in our stores, so we don't want to create a homogenous local social presence. We want to actually take advantage of that detailed knowledge our customers have I mean, our team members have of their customers in their community to let that really be reflected in, in our social presences locally. And then, of course, at the brand level, our responsibility with social media is to really tell the brand and lifestyle story. So there's no way that I could tell the story of all the things that are on sale at all the Whole Foods around the country via Facebook. That's, you know, thousands of items on any given day. So instead, I want to be talking about here's seasonal recipes that you can use, Mr. Customer, to come into our store and and take advantage of seasonal produce and, and other products. And so we provide this connective tissue at the brand level to then the very detailed local community uh, content that's provided in those local social channels. So it sounds great with you and me here on a podcast, but there's 1,200 people who have to be in on this conversation for it to work. So what I'm curious to know, how is it conveyed? Is it just sort of a tribal system where, you know, people hand down information to other people, or is there some formal framework? Is it, is it addressed at the policy level? I mean, I understand you can't tell them what to say, but do you provide some sort of a formal written framework that allows them to, you know, localize their communications via social media on a market-by-market -market level? Sure. So we are very much a work in progress, and I've been at Whole Foods for not even two years now, and we've been bit by bit, creating that framework that you're talking about. So we purchased a social media management system. That was the very first thing that we wanted to do was to be able to give everybody a standard tool set so we could streamline support around tools, but also to create a way that we could share messaging and content that they could use. And now next we're looking at how do we create a framework for reporting so that we can all compare to one another. And simultaneously, we're also looking at how do we train and because the goal is to be less tribal in nature. That's really how it grew at Whole Foods. But the problem with tribal is that sometimes, depending on who's sharing the information, it could be incorrect or 
you know, lead to a worse practice. So, for example, there was a recent conversation going on about utilizing the new Facebook cover photo guidelines. Um, it would appear that the way that they're written that it would be okay to promote sales in them now. And previously, you couldn't do that through cover photos. And so, while it might be true, we stepped in and said, well, while letter of the law is technically true, we highly recommend that you don't use Facebook cover photos to promote sales because that doesn't create a good customer experience. And so we are step-by-step trying to get ahead of it with sort of a four-prong program. The first is a tools program, like I mentioned, how do we get the right tools into the hands of all of these folks, ones that they can use, and ones that make their lives better instead of getting in their way. Um, How do we report so that we can all understand how we're doing um, relative to our communities, relative to one another, and then there's the training piece, which is across the board, right? So training on the tools, training on how to think, and then also trying to keep up with just the new changes in Facebook and Twitter and should we all be on Instagram and what does that look like because the stores are very overwhelmed. And then the last piece is the content and engagement piece. And we are working very hard to to do a couple of things. The first is working here at the brand level and at the regional level to provide a really strong collection of content that these folks can pull from so that they're only spending about 25% of their time creating content. So they can take a little bit from the content that we provide at the brand level. Regional can provide either products or stories or events that are interesting, and that only puts the burden on them to share just a few things about what's on sale in the store, what local products they have in the store, team member stories, but it really reduces the burden of original content creation on those 1,200 folks because I want them to spend 75% of their time engaging with our customers. It's very important that we respond to people in a timely manner and um, that we help resolve issues and that we surprise and delight. So that's the last piece for us is how do we reduce the content burden um, and find which small percentage of the content has to be very uh, locally relevant so that people can focus on engagement. And I would say if I were going to judge us that we're probably only about a third of the way there on all of those initiatives combined, but with each step that we take, we make ourselves better, we make those folks more confident and more comfortable. So you know, even with each baby step, it has sort of a ripple effect up through the organization. So, so that's the approach that we're taking. I don't think we'll ever be done, but that's the model that we're using. Let's drill down on the training piece um, because, you know, they say the single biggest cost of training is time off the job. Um, so how do you, how do you, I mean, I've got to think that in a business like the grocery store business, whether it's Whole Foods or another chain, there's a considerable amount of turnover. So you've got people coming in, people coming out. you got, if they want to be involved, well, let me start with this. Can anybody be involved with social media? Anybody that's an employee, can I say to you, you know what, I'm a bagger, I want to do social media, can I do it? So in theory, yes, but, you know, that's a conversation that you also have to have with your team leader because just because you want to be involved in social media doesn't mean that that's that's necessarily the priority of your team leader. Every store at Whole Foods has a marketer, a store marketer, sometimes more than one, and their job is the business of marketing the stores. And so not surprisingly, that's where the majority of the social responsibility falls. But they also get help from others in the store who might be passionate about social media or in certain departments where there's a high knowledge level that really differentiates us. A couple of examples are in our whole body department where we have folks who know a whole lot about 
beauty products and supplements and, and how all of that works from a natural and organic perspective. And then another place is many of our stores have healthy eating specialists, and part of their job is customer education. So it makes a lot of sense for it to be, for those people to be involved a little bit in social media. So, so let's, you know, so let's one, say I'm the, I'm the whole body person. I've just been hired. I came from a local health food store. I have really good knowledge. That's why I was hired. Um, and I want to use social media. How do I get approval to do that, and how does that work? So that you do two things. Um, you know, if you're a team leader, then you get to decide how you use your own time. But in theory, you know, you just let your um, your management know this is something you want to spend time on. And you, ha- you come to an agreement, right, about what percentage of time, particularly if you're not a store marketer. Um, almost all of our employees are hourly employees, so that's certainly a consideration. And then you go and you talk to the store marketer, marketer and you say, let's figure out how I can help you. And this is one of the beauties of that hyper-local social is the ability for the store marketer to work with those inside the organization and figure out how to use those as contributors. In fact, if you ask leadership at Whole Foods, they would love to see us double or triple the number of people contributing to social media in the coming years. And so we really let the local stores manage that in the same way that that whole body person might say, I want to throw events. Can you help me figure out how to host events? It's very similar uh, in that they look at what are the store's priorities and and how do we want to spend our time. And so it's that, that local control that's so critical. And right now, we do not have a requirement that you take a special training class to be able to access our social media. One of the things about Whole Foods is that in from a social perspective, we piggyback on the trust that the organization puts in the people who are customer-facing. The same people who are doing social media every day are the same people talking to customers face-to-face on a phone, and they know what they need to know to have those conversations, and social isn't much different. Our job is to teach them how to do it effectively in social. So we are working on rolling out baseline training for anybody who wants to participate in social at Whole Foods. We really want you to take this training so that you can be in line with our philosophies on social media around putting customer interactions first, being sure that you're there every day, you know, best practices in social media, but really um, honoring the fact that the organization trusts these folks day in and day out to be the face of the organization and market us in the conversations they have with customers. Now, um, in terms of, you know, baseline training, um, as I mentioned to you prior to the call, um, you know, our mutual friend Babette, produces the Tech Munch, and she's had it out at the uh, Whole Foods in Austin several times. One time I was out there, it's a beautiful conference facility um, that's attached to the market, but I guess not every market has that type of a conference facility. So just from a practical standpoint, I mean, how do you go about delivering the, that sort of baseline training in the field? So we have three different ways that we can do it. The first is Whole Foods has a learning management system where, just like a lot of other very large organizations, we can put together a computer-based training. And we've done some of that with video, trying to make it as engaging as possible. This is where my background as an educator comes in. I want people to enjoy the training. And you know, they can take the training, they can take a quiz, and they can have a, um, a sort of a flag on their personnel records that they completed the training. That's option one. Option two is many of these store marketers and others who would be contributing to social media do get together in their regions on a regular basis at least once a year. 
So my team does all that we can to divide and conquer and go physically to those meetings and deliver the training there. And I actually prefer to do it that way because it allows us an opportunity for people to ask questions and for us to build strong relationships inside of those regions. And what we found is that when we go and we train face-to-face and people know that we're here as a resource, they're more apt to call us and talk to us when they need help or when they hire new folks into their region, they are more apt to say, hey, here's a resource that you can use. So it's actually part of my budget to arrange to send people to the regions once a year to help with the training. In fact, we've got somebody going this week to New York to do a regional training. So how do we piggyback on that? And then the last piece is we will very often do one-on-one training where if there's a new store marketer and they particularly if they don't know anything about social media, the educator in me over time would love to get to this very robust, tiered education process where you come in and you do an assessment and we find out what you know and we point you in the right direction, but you know that's a time and resources consideration. So in the short term, we will absolutely get on the phone with people and walk them through the training. But the new learning management system is really helping us out a lot in terms of being able to deliver training broadly to the organization. And, you know, for someone like a whole body coordinator who might not have been um, at the regional marketing meeting, that's a great way for them to get training. So, so between computer-based and the regional meetings, we get a lot of it covered. And then if we go back to this idea of the with and through, where we're working with and through the folks in our regions, quite frankly, if there's a new marketer who comes on board, we've already trained in a train-the-trainer style the folks in their regions, and they should be able to do that training. So that's the other thing for us, too, is once again, those regional social media specialists are really critical to our success. Um, So I've done my fair share of social media training as well. And it seems like, you know, through the years, I've come to the belief that there's sort of three things you got to teach. you got to teach the key concepts. you got to teach the mechanics, the sort of how-to, and you've got to teach best practices. And... You know, I've found that when you're going into either a hotel conference center or even often in a conference room when you get, you know, more than eight or ten people per router and you try to actually do hands-on training and exercises, it can be tough to sustain the load even with, you know, a good broadband connection. And then you always have different levels in the room. You have some people who can keep up, some people who sort of give up because they can't keep up. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, what's happening with the development of e-learning and Khan Academy and and, uh, edX and Coursera and looking at this idea that others, you know, have been talking about this idea of a flipped classroom. And I'm I'm really curious to get your perspective on this, given your background as an educator. Um, And for those of you who may not have heard this concept that are listening, the idea of a flipped classroom is – rather than go sit with a subject matter expert and hear that person um, lecture or deliver information, um, you actually watch that before you get to the class uh, online. Um, That's where you get the data dump or the brain dump, and you can fast forward, stop, start, rewind. And then when you go to class, you get mentored and you get helped. Do you think a flipped classroom model could work for Whole Foods? Because I think one of the challenges is you know, how do you know people are actually going to sit down and consume the on-demand coursework before they show up? Mm-hmm. So I think that you've, that you've hit the nail on the head, and quite frankly, I've always preferred in any classroom setting that I'm in for it to be 
activity-based and hands-on-based because that's just what we know, right? That um, people learn by doing. And if you lecture to them um, and there's a, a time lapse between you and you lecture to them and when they go and do, that they lose the information. And so, so conceptually from a learning theory perspective, it makes a lot of sense. But as you mentioned, how do we know that people are going to do the work ahead of time? With using something like a learning management system, it allows you to know if people did that. And in fact, that's what we do. So before you come to any of our trainings, we have a set of conceptual videos that we want you to watch. They're all very short. They're between a minute and two minutes long, and they cover about five to seven really key ideas about how we think about social that are less about the tools and the, and the techniques and more about you know, being customer-centric how do you have the right tone and voice for social? What do you do in, in times of crisis? And we ask everybody to take those. And certainly, I could look that morning and I could say, hey, who didn't take these, right? And then in theory, you could go and you could sit down and, and have like a pre-screening. You know, you could, you could say, okay, for those of you who did your homework, you get to sleep in half an hour early. For those of you who didn't, please come down and take them. But at some point, there's an element of personal accountability and responsibility that we have to let, let come to play come into play in the business world. And so we have to trust people to do the work that we ask them to do. And we just have to understand the reality that if we then move into hands-on, which is what we do, that there may be some people who are behind. And depending on how many people we send, there are a couple of options there, right? You could do a breakout where if people are particularly struggling, you could have them break out into sessions. I've also had a lot of success with actually letting people self-identify around the issues that are the most important to them so you, or, or the place where they feel like they need the most help. So you go in and before the session begins, you go through an exercise where you ask people to write on Post-it notes, um, you ask them a question. So which area are you most interested in for social? Where are your biggest challenges? What do you want to know? And when you start pulling those Post-it notes together, they generally group into you know, three to four key areas. And then if you schedule breakout sessions, outside of the standard content, you can actually have all those people come together in a much smaller group and talk about the issue that was the most important to them. And so I've had some success with that as a model, but that really only works in person. And um, so it is what it is. That's where I go back to wanting to have a much more robust um, curriculum that would let people essentially do a choose-your-own-adventure. Um, but the other thing is that I think you just have to know that you're going to have to do retraining afterwards and that people are going to call you and they're going to have questions and they're going to be confused. And what's most important is that you make it easy for them to get a hold of you and you respond to them quickly. So that they, and, and we say to them, we know we're throwing a lot at you. If you're in the midst of something in Facebook in your job, email us, text us, call us, and we'll help you. And then to that end, the other thing that we're going to be instituting is social media office hours where every week... I am a, or a member of my team open up the phone lines and we sit on the phone for an hour and people can come and they can ask whatever question they want to ask. And we still have to find the right time for that because these folks uh, in the regions are on the store floor a lot, so we're, we're working on what's the best time for that. But just being available and having resources to do the retraining, I think it gets you that last mile for a large percentage of your trainees. And just knowing that that's the reality and planning for it, I think is better than trying to, to believe that you can somehow make a difference. Well, the other reality is you guys are a public company, right? So you guys have the pressure of stockholders to deliver profits and earnings quarter by quarter. And, you know, that can be a punishing reality 
if you can't really demonstrate ROI. And given that, the single highest cost of training is time off the job. Is it realistic to think that you can actually scale this thing without having on-demand online training being a significant component, particularly for teaching the mechanics of social media, you know, how to tag a post, how to, uh, you know, retweet a, a message. I mean, that's simple basics, which people may not know. Right. So, so I think, I think that it's important to, to separate out the two sides of what we're trying to teach because the mechanics are just that. They are how do you use the tools. And I totally agree that, that that's a really great, that, that on-demand training is one of the best ways to handle that. So, for example, we've got um, the new threaded comments in Facebook, right, and Facebook graph searches out and things like that. It makes a lot of sense for my team to put together a couple of really quick instructional modules and put them out on our learning management system and say to everybody, hey, please come take these in the next two to three weeks and we're going to bug you if you haven't taken them, right? And really let the tools of learning management help us manage that process. And, and that I don't mind doing that way because it is mechanics. The pieces that I think are really important um, to teach foundationally and to be sure that everybody has are how do we approach social media? How are we customer-centric? How do we have in conversations? Why is engagement so important? Why can't you let that comment on your Facebook page go for five days? Um, if you're going to be on Twitter, it's important to always respond. And so what we found is that if we can give people this foundational understanding of the way to think about social and how to, how to really drive strong engagement by putting yourself in the shoes of the customer, then the mechanics just layer on top of that, and then it just becomes a training process to put out the information around mechanics as it becomes available. And so you sort of have to approach it in both ways, I think, to have a successful training program. Well, that's a great segue for us because, you know, if you've got 1,200 people out there on social media, once in a while someone's going to make a mistake. It's, you know, people are humans error, make mistakes. It's, it just happens. So I guess, you know, what do you do about that? Like if someone says something they're not supposed to say, how does that get handled? Or does it? So quite frankly, it's the same as if what if somebody puts something on a sign they're not supposed to put on a sign in our store, right? It's, it's really no different. Um, and in fact, these days, any mistake that you make goes viral in a matter of seconds. So the fact that it's on social doesn't really matter anymore. Um, so we just look at how did we get here, what can we learn from it, and how do we prevent it from happening again? Is it necessary to make a statement in social? Um, some of that has to do with customer responses and, and how things go. And, um, you know, and if something happens in a store and it doesn't escalate to the rest of the country, then probably we won't say anything about it on our national brand page. But if something gets a little bit bigger, then we have the opportunity to bring those brand pages in. But it's really no different than course correcting for, for anything that happens in a store. And so we actually try not to treat it much differently because, because I think people are more comfortable with that. If it's the same as, oh, we created a sign that somebody wasn't happy with, that's the equivalent of somebody tweeted something that someone wasn't happy with, let's address them in the same way. And I think the hard thing about, about the world we live in with social media is it's so easy for people to share their opinions and dissatisfaction and unhappiness with the whole world around them 
that we also have to to be reasonable about expecting that not everything's going to be perfect all the time. And so you you either apologize or you say, hey, that wasn't what, what was intended, and you move on. Um, but if you make a really big deal out of it, it could become a bigger a bigger issue. So we actually try to use mechanisms that are already in place to address that. And, you know, of course, if it becomes a chronic issue, then we would treat it in the same way as we would treat any other chronic issue uh, for someone. But we haven't actually seen that happen very much. Almost all the time it was somebody going, oh, of course, now that I look back on it, I understand. And we use it as a teachable moment and a way to um, look to prevent it from happening again. You mentioned your, your, you know, first step was sort of getting social media management under wraps, and you've got a platform for that. And you see now some of these vendors uh, popping up with these social media compliance platforms that are as much about enabling engagement as um, allowing HR to monitor. To what extent do you think that that, I mean, what's, is that as important as education, or do you think you, it's, it's a more you know, organic, holistic process in terms of monitoring discussions? So I think that that has everything to do with the culture of the organization. I can't really imagine Whole Foods putting anything like that into place because it's just not part of our culture. We have a lot of trust in our team members, and um, so so I think for us, we would because of the kind of company that we are, we would much rather put our energies and our our focus on training and less on this idea of compliance, but. I can understand how other organizations might need to do that based on the kind of business that they are. And quite frankly, though, I feel like you could also use the existing tools that you have to, to look at, at what people are saying. You know, so, so for our social media management platform, I can easily set up a stream that shows me everything that everybody's tweeting all the time or posting on Facebook, but then someone has to go look at that. And there's, you know, you can certainly put algorithms and other things on top of it, but at some point there's a a human being making the call, and I bet you that you would see a response from your customer base long before anybody internally could catch that something went wrong. So, you know, I think that it just depends on your organization's culture and also how important compliance is for you. I can understand in financial services or other places where that might be necessary, but it's just sort of the antithesis of our culture to do something like that, so I I really don't see us doing it. Natanya, thank you so much for taking the time to go uh, deep on the subject of social media program management for a national brand with local presence. Um, I, I, I want to uh, wrap it up, but I, I want to ask just a final question. Um, in September of last year, uh, there were blog posts about a case between Costco and the Food Workers Union. And um, I'll do my best to summarize it, although I'm not an attorney and uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to characterize what I understand of it. It's probably somewhat limited. Um, my understanding is that a, an employee was terminated for making critical remarks on social media about the about Costco, and um, and because the remarks conflicted with Costco's social media policy, and uh, they went to the National Labor Relations Board, which uh, you know is set up by the federal government to oversee the National Labor Relations Act, and if you're listening, you don't know what that is. That is was enacted by Congress in the 30s, and it's basically what gave rise to the unions and collective bargaining. And this uh, terminated uh, Costco employee went to the food worker, uh, from the Food Workers Union, went to the National Labor Relations Board and said, hey, 
I think I was wrongfully terminated. I Yes, I was criticizing my employer, but I think I was being treated unfairly, and I was just trying to improve my working conditions and, uh, and not protect it. Uh, is that... Are you looking at that issue of, you know, uh, employee rights and First Amendment and, you know, FPC regulations? There's so many government regulations now that are starting to impact how employers govern social media usage. And I've got to think, you know, I mean, we're we're in the age now where if you've got more than 10,000 workers, you have to have sexual harassment training. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Do you foresee an age where social media training becomes the sexual harassment training of the digital age? <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, so I have to say that I'm, I'm really lucky to only be an advisor to the internal Whole Foods teams that have to wrestle with that um, because it's, it's a really interesting and complex situation, and I think it's going to be a while before we see it resolved. I do think that it's a good idea for businesses to not only have a social media policy, um, but to also help their team members understand what that means in whatever way is right for their organization. A lot of times the missteps that you see, and I, I can't really comment on the Costco one just because I don't have a lot of, um, a lot of experience with it, but People do and say things in social media when they're either not thinking or they don't understand the ramifications. And so I think it's responsible as an employer to try to provide a little bit of education there as in line with their social media um, policy. And because I think it's the right thing to do. And, you know, so I have a 13-year-old daughter who um, is about to be a freshman in high school And we talk a lot about what's appropriate to post in social media. Sure, you can say whatever you want to say, but but what are the ramifications? And trying to move the conversation away from what do I have the right to post to what makes sense to post and how are other people going to think about that and what does that mean for my career? Because I feel like that's a much more supportive approach rather than um, being more about how do we cover ourselves. So it's, it's, I, I think... I think that HR teams are going to have to address that, and um, I'm happy that, once again, that I just help with that, and that's not my responsibility. But I also believe that we should start to try to change the conversation about how do you think about your public persona and what does it mean that so much of what you're saying is out there online for anybody to see, and as an organization, how do we take on the responsibility to help our our team members with that, just as we would with any other aspect of their job, because it's less adversarial and I think much more supportive of them as they grow their careers. So that's the direction I would like to see it go. Natanya Anderson, truly humbled and enlightened by your insights. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, 
the government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.